Chapter 3 I pulled off my muddy boots on the familiar back porch while Mahi just stood there staring across at her cottage. I crouched down, untied, and took off her sneakers for her, then led her into the living room, turning on some lamps and upping the thermometer. My mind was trying to think straight, but I was having no success. All I knew was that this woman with me was urgently caught up in her own flow, and that flow had now moved us over here to my territory, right where I would have been anyway if I hadn't met her. She sat upright on a chair, looking ashen, totally out of juice. Pues, she said very quietly, aquí estamos. But what was that all about? I insisted. Oh, she said finally, staring across the gorge. That was my opa on the phone. I told you about him down near San Diego. Rafael. He insisted that I leave the premises immediately and not to be seen out front. That rope swing, I remember doing such things down at the lake many years ago. That was good, Juan. We did good. But what was the problem, I said. Only my brother, was all she said. Please, I feel chilled as if I fell into that river. Might I take a hot shower? I led her into the bedroom and on into the redwood-paneled bathroom. Thank you, she said simply, and I left her alone. Looking at the big bed, I slid open a drawer and found some pajamas that someone had left after a sleepover party a few weeks back at Thanksgiving. I laid them out for her on the bed. I heard the shower start up and naturally thought of her underneath the steamy spray and became suddenly a whole lot more aware of my own bodily presence. My clothes were yucky, so I stripped and stood a moment naked with a blank mind, then remembered the jade piece in her backpack. I'd been brought up fairly liberal when it came to sex stuff, but I felt way over my league with this woman. Who was she, anyway? All I knew was that she was in my shower, naked, and here I was naked, and yet right then I felt a vast distance between us. Was she just playing games with all this spy versus spy swinging across the river stuff? Was she perhaps actually crazy? Who was in charge here, anyway? I was currently between serious relationships and not feeling at all needy, but her touch, her flow, it all seemed so damned familiar. In the kitchen, having decided that more alcohol wasn't called for, I poured vanilla soy milk into a saucepan to make some hot chocolate. From the back window, I again looked across the gorge, remembering the radical tingling in my balls as I'd gone swinging down and across and up and over to the other side, and then swung the rope back to her. That had been fucking foolish. She might have gotten killed down there, but it felt good to have done it with her. As the milk heated on the stove, I got into some paranoid imaginations. Was there somebody actually over there spying on her, threatening her? Had they seen us come over here? She'd been so seriously afraid. Logically, I knew there was no way anybody could know she was over here. 
Whoever was watching her house would assume we were still in there, gazing at those remarkable art pieces on the walls, maybe gazing into each other's eyes. Who knows what we might have been up to alone together in that house as the evening progressed. I admit, my imagination began to run away with me right then, not sexually, but danger-wise. I left the kitchen with cocoa heating on the gas burner, went into my entry closet and took out the thirty thirty lever-action Winchester rifle my grandfather had given me way back when. I proceeded to rotely push five cold, slender cartridges into the inner chamber, leaned the rifle in a corner, and somehow felt better, knowing I could defend the fort if required. As I was pouring two ancient mugs full of hot chocolate, she came walking into the kitchen, wearing the pajamas I'd left on the bed. She sat down at the old oak table over in the nook, and I handed her the cup and our fingers touched. She took several gulps, glancing only once out the window, before turning her head away from all that. I saw those Guatemala weavings you have on your walls, she said with a neutral low tone, and also that fine old Momocastinango blanket on your bed. Yeah, I said. I brought a lot of things back. Perhaps you heard, she said, how last July some government troops came storming into Momocastinango and murdered many people just because a few of the kids were fighting in the underground. Hey, I never heard anything about that, I said. Your media up here, it mostly ignores ongoing atrocities in Guatemala that fuel your immigration fiasco. You pretend that indigenous genocide is a thing of the past, but hear me, several of my deep companions were killed that night in Momo. That's partly why I'm here, why I stole the jade piece, why my cousin's house suddenly became hot. I took my mug and sat down across from her in the nook. I didn't hear a single report about anything down there this summer, I told her. Well, you Americans hide in your giant gated country, completely numb to the body of the true Americas. But forgive me, I'm a bit shaken from my grandfather's phone call. And I remember now, you and I were feeling very good in our hearts, in our everything, right then. So, what might you have planned for tomorrow? Um, I said heading south to Ba for a couple of weeks of vacation. Oh, she responded, then perhaps you might drive me to San Diego on your way and meet Raphael. Better still, I insisted. How about you come with me down to Baja? Get entirely away from whoever's bugging you. Thank you, Juan. Your intentions are good, and you're already helping me more than you can imagine. But I must go tomorrow to Raphael with the jade. For now, the chocolate is good. Hey, but I'm feeling very sleepy. She put down her cup, and met my eyes as if searching for some unspoken clue. Juan, do you still feel nothing? she asked me. Ah, but no, I can see in your eyes. Zero. Hey, I retorted, it's been one hell of a first date. 
She smiled at that, inhaling deeply with a slight rising of her breasts, then exhaled with a sigh. We have coincided so very abruptly, she said. We are again connected. But right now I am entirely exhausted. The last few days have been intense. So you take my bed, I said. I'll sleep on the sofa. I'll sleep better, she said, if you sleep with me. But tonight we shall simply sleep. Oh, no, how could I forget? I must phone Raphael. Do you have a phone? My temporary was lost from my pocket while sailing across the gorge. She was sound asleep by the time I cleaned up the kitchen. I went outside and stood on the back porch, listening to the steady roar of the river down below, then shut the house up for the night. I thought of putting away the thirty thirty, but somehow I felt better having it ready to grab. I closed the bedroom door and sat down in a chair across from the bed. When she'd retired, I'd lit a candle for her in the corner, and the room was now flickering as a slight breeze blew in from the window. I just sat there quietly a while, taking in her head of long, soft hair on the pillow, her shapely, curled body under the blanket. My mom had brought me up, believing in the synchronistic dynamic of chance encounters, as I mentioned. But still I felt unprepared for the intense feeling that surged as I sat there gazing at this new creature so peacefully sleeping in my family bed. I stood up and took off my clothes. Having been born into a California ranching family, I still carried on Gramp's tradition of not wearing underwear, just one of those lingering, unseen, post-cowboy things. But I felt acutely exposed as I walked over to the bed, hoping she wouldn't suddenly open her eyes and see me being so overt. But she slept on undisturbed with her back to me as I slid under the covers beside her. For just one bothersome moment, I thought of my ex-wife, remembering how she'd suddenly stopped sharing this bed with me, not to mention my apartment bed over in Berkeley, the old house down in Mountain View, and also the bed in my camper. Then I let all that go and stretched out on my back beside this new woman, not really thinking anything at all, just letting my system slow down as I tuned in to the woman's soft, steady breathing, coming and going, beside me. There was no one in bed beside me when I woke up. Grabbing a robe and stumbling off down the hall, I found her sitting at the office desk, reading a rough draft of a difficult talk I was scheduled to deliver at a Wisdom 2.0 conference in February. After a minute or so, she turned her head as if sensing my presence behind her. I hope you don't mind, she said calmly in English. This document attracted my attention, but at the end you draw no final conclusion. Well, we're asking a 200% question, I countered, noting that she seemed mentally bright and fully recovered from last night. I'm just trying to get people thinking about the various possible consequences of psych resonance research. Juan, you should meet my brother. 
then there'd be no question in your mind about consequences. I was still half asleep. Um, your brother? Bernardo. I mentioned him yesterday. Where is he, I asked, also in San Diego? No, much farther south. By the way, I asked, what did your grandfather say to you last night that made you panic and run? Oh, she said, her voice taking on a tighter tone. It was perhaps a false alarm. I'll find out tonight. But thank you for flowing so nobly with me. False alarm about what, I countered. Raphael, she explained, was in Congress in Washington for many years. He still has many connections. And he heard that my brother might possibly be, well, planning mischief at the cottage last night. By the way, I see here that you mentioned the early research of Ken Wilbur and also your father's ethics papers against bioresonance experiments. Yeah, I said, but unlike my dad, I don't think we can turn off the biotech flow. In the next few years, medtech's going to introduce assorted software equipment that can almost instantly modify both emotions and thought flows through bioresonance. Dial in a mood elevation resonance, and away goes depression and anxiety. Vast market. And all we can do is hope it'll end up to humanity's advantage. She put the paper down. But how can you be so eager to create machines that further amplify the human compulsion to manipulate consciousness? Hey, I reacted, I'm not eager, but I can't stop history. No, but you can help guide it. I, for one, am betting my life on humankind's transcending cognitive manipulation. But even as we speak, my brother is fine-tuning equipment that surpasses your predictions. He can already broadcast an exact resonant imprint of any emotion he chooses, instantly shifting individuals and also entire communities into pre-selected... Hold on, I interrupted. There's nothing in the journals about anything remotely so advanced. Journals know nothing, she retorted. I've been in Bernardo's lab. I know full well what he can do, and as you point out in your paper, there's zero technology in place to block him. Sorry, I told her. You're talking pure science fiction. Jack, it was your own father's early research that you talk about here in the paper that has led to Bernardo's inventions. Raphael, he will explain this to you if you drive me to him. And who knows, she went on, smiling again, if you want adventure and not just vacation, you might accompany me down to my homeland and meet Bernardo. The future, for us, feels wide open. Standing there in the room close to her, I felt myself beginning to surrender to the urge to talk to her grandfather, and who knows what after that. My dad had taught me to set vacations free to unfold step-by-step step all on their own. Why not, I conceded, just for the pleasure of your continued company. She immediately seemed to relax. She sighed. 
blinked with glistening eyes, and came forward thankfully to hug me. The physical contact felt remarkably good, so good that we began settling into a mutually quite engrossing chest-to-breast hug that could have very possibly dropped down considerably deeper if both of us hadn't suddenly pushed back reflexively from each other as the big front door down the hallway banged itself loudly closed. Someone had entered the house without thinking, reacting as if an explosion had just gone off in my face. I moved fast to the corner where I'd left the thirty thirty, grabbed it and worked the metal lever to throw a shell into the firing chamber. No, wait, Mahi shouted as I ran into the living room and raised the rifle to fire at. She's my own mother. She stood there holding her key to the house. I lowered the barrel. Mom, what are you doing in here? But, she retorted, I phoned and you didn't answer. Uh, yeah, I left my phone in my car last night. Your car wasn't outside, she said, so I assumed you weren't here. And you did insist that I keep a key and come in any time I wanted. Yeah, yeah, whew, I said, feeling entirely shook up. Oh, um, Mom, this is Mahalena. Mahi, meet Danny. Well, Danny said in her ever-cheery tone, all prim and pretty in her hip business attire that she sported these days. Please do forgive me for blundering into your love nest. And, well, I'm starved. How about I whip up some omelets while you two get out of your lovely bed garments? I have a lunch meeting coming up with Larry, but my morning's free. Mahi and me, I explained, we're heading south, meeting friends in San Diego and then doing Baja for vacation. But what about Christmas? Danny complained. I want you to talk with Larry and hear the opportunity he's offering. It's your chance to continue your father's work. How can you possibly say no? Mom, sorry, but we're in a rush. And you know I'm not interested in any of that. Maybe you can give us a ride over to my camper at the museum. Did Larry reach you last night, she asked. Like I said, I told her, my phone's in the camper. I'm out of here right now. We're late. Once we got over to Interstate 5, the day got relaxed and sunshiny. Your mother, she seems to love you very much, my traveling companion said out of the blue. Yeah, I said, she still hopes I'll get struck by mushroom lightning, you know, and wake up in her higher realms. But I was always more like my dad. You're quite unlike any scientist I've known, she told me. You seem to know quite a lot of science yourself, I said. So did university life serve you well? They had no answers, she responded, to questions I was asking. Such as? Pues, how does emotional imprinting actually happen in infants, perhaps even in the womb? And how might that imprinting be altered? Also, can the violent reptilian reflexes of the limbic system be temporarily or even perhaps permanently switched off? Furthermore, is greed a learned attitude 
or a DNA-driven neural reflex, and beyond the restrictive bounds of linear time, what Akashic dimensions predetermine human experience? You spoke of your deep connection with your grandfather last night. Are you in touch with your father? I glanced over at her as we drove along the bleak, flat agricultural landscape of the Central Valley. Um, slightly, I said, but not at all like with Gramps. With Dad, I still sometimes feel a vague flash, and then he's gone. My ex-wife was into all that ghost stuff, but really, who's to say what's imagination and what's really real? And furthermore, she responded, does there even exist any real division line between the two? She grinned that subtle smile of hers that I was getting seriously entranced by. Then she became suddenly serious. Your father's death, she went on, still holds you. The police, I told her, decided it was a heart attack, provoked by accidentally overdosing his coronary medicine. But he was seriously battling the pharma gangs. And yeah, I'm certain somebody, somehow, did him in. And she said, you seek revenge? Hey, I retorted, I can't help how I feel. Well, then perhaps medtech can melt away all your hostile feelings and, in a resonant flash, set you free. Do you really mean that? I hit back. No, we must learn to free ourselves. No drug or software manipulation can liberate us. This is what my grandmother down in Santiago, Atitlan, has taught me. And she knows? Yes, she said. She knows. She made a quick move, went back between the front seats to the back of the camper to inspect the custom built-ins. This is a magnificent traveling machine, she concluded. My dad, I explained to her. He put the Porsche engine in and redid the suspension. He was into oddball rally racing. He got a rush out of pushing limits. And you also enjoy taking risks, she said, lolling on the bed as I watched her in the rearview mirror. Your girlfriends, she went on lightly, must line up on the weekends for a chance to spend the night sleeping in here. A host of memories flooded me. My voice sounded stilted. Yeah, only recently has my ex-wife's ghost chosen to depart the premises, I said. So she was the one who left, not you. Hmm, yep. She dropped me for a neo-New Age guru who taught her how to sit on his dick and attain enlightenment. So you can perhaps do the same for me? Hey, I countered. You've got the jade piece. Won't that do the trick? Ah, she said. Now you speak of deep things. I also was left by a lover, and for several years I have had little opportunity for my heart to sing. Tell me, does this machine perhaps play music? I handed her my iPhone. Go ahead and grab anything off Spotify that you like. Maybe that woman you were playing before. Ah, yes, Fia, she said. 
She bent over my phone, and suddenly that same woman was singing again. Travel down with me, you will learn to see. Cradled by the earth, this is your rebirth. All you ever thought you were got taken by the fire. Nothing to be said when everything is dead. Ashes in your mouth, a seed begins to sprout. Kissed by fire, naked in a brand new world, tasting life for the very first time, who are you? What do you desire? When the song ended, she turned the music off as she gazed out the window, seemingly lost in thought. So now tell me something about your family, I asked at some point. Are they recent migrants to La Guatitlan? From my mother, she told me, we are the infinite unnamed natives forever residing under the volcano. How old were you, she asked me, when you were there? Sweet sixteen, I said. She was rocking slightly in her seat, looking right at me with those deep green eyes of hers. For just a moment I felt a flood of heat rushing up my spine, and I lost my focus on the road. Then she spoke up, and the trance popped. Perhaps some of your father's music to rock us, she suggested. The eagles came on, singing complex harmonies on top of a slow pulsing beat. Ah, such a good flow, she intuned, stretching her body like a sunshiny cat. Come on and let the good times roll. And yes, speaking of being entirely honest, I shall perhaps admit to how I am relaxing deeply within my own most private parts. But now I reach the bashful limits of my own honesty. You and me we've hardly touched this time around. This sunlight is so warm on my skin. But now you must keep your eyes and everything else focused on the road while I disappear inward. Ah. I kept my eyes on the road as the eagles pulsed on the stereo. Hey, I heard her say. I glanced over. She was sitting there flushed and impish. So tell me, I said to shift the focus, those eyes of yours, you look Latin and Nordic at the same time. Your hair too, there's gold flecks. What are your particular genes packing? Oh, she said, beyond the occasional star child abductions, I'm just a lost mutt. Raphael is German with some Spanish from earlier times, also, like I told you, a touch from colonial India, and according to my DNA tests, an edge of Genghis Khan riding through some long-forgotten Prussian hamlet. And on your mother's side? Pues local Maya. That's how it always was in Atitlan. I'm still learning to fully embrace my blood. I've had one abortion and no children yet, but sometimes I feel myself wanting to perpetuate the lineage. Who knows what shall come? 
Soon we'll have psilocybin nasal spray for transcending depression and anxiety. My Atitlan ancestors worshipped that muse of the mushroom. But forgive me. I am hormonally flushed and babbling. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments.